Amen. Amen. Well, who would have thought, walking outside this morning, that 58 feels warm? So, uh, you know you've lived here long enough, I guess. It's been a little over two and a half years. And I walk out, and I'm like, wow, it's warm. It's 58. It's 58. That's great. So, yeah, praise God for the weather and uh, for short sleeves, too. Um, So, uh, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. Uh, If you're with us online, glad that you're here, or if you're here in person, it's good to see you as well. Um, Today we're coming to the end of our series. I always kind of have mixed emotions when we're finishing up a series. You know, it's like the culmination of, uh, you know, a lot of work, um, the conclusion. Uh, But I think there's some good things for us today. We've asked a lot of why questions, and, you know, in life we, we have a lot of why questions, um, as little kids, um, they seem to be endless. Um, as adults, we feel like even at times, there's, there's not always an answer to the why question. Um, and I've been thankful to be able to walk through this um, just with you together, um, to ask some of those questions. And at first, it was one of those things that I, when I was going through it, it was initially birthed out of the miscarriage that Christy and I had. And um, there was a lot of pain and a lot of grief in that and things that we had to work through, but the place that God met us was finding some answers to this, um, finding some answers to those why questions. And a lot of the whys are tied up in the um, the difficult things, the sad things. Um, today we're asking a question, why church? Um, so why are we here? Why do we come here on a Sunday morning? Why do we gather? Um, does God think that it's important? I think those are questions we need to ask, and they're okay questions to ask as well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We'll be in uh, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, or your device, um, or look to the screen, and the words will be there. And so as we look at the book of Hebrews, we see uh, answers to a lot of questions. Uh, When the author's writing this, I think that it's Luke, he's writing from this perspective of trying to help us understand in the culture at the time that Jesus is greater than everything. And so we we talked about that recently, that Jesus is the goat. He's um, the greatest of all time, period. So um, you look at anyone else in history, any great leader, you will come to this conclusion that Jesus is still greater than all of them, okay? It's because he was God. So when we come to this idea of the church, why church, I wanted to ask this question. Involve a little bit of feedback, which may be dangerous, depending on some of you. Uh, But I want to ask this question. When you think of church... What comes to mind? You can just say it out loud. When you think about the church, what comes to your mind? Worship, okay, great. What else? Fellowship, worship, fellowship. My tribe, okay, that's a cool one. I like that. So, what else? You think of church. What do you think of? What was that, Randy? Learning. Learning. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Place to learn, place to come together. What else? Service. Yeah. We come for service. Yeah. We come to serve other people too. Yeah. Um, What else? People. Yeah. People are made, right? (laughs) Made up for the church, right? So we come to a building, but people are inside of this place, right? That's why we come together. Praying for each other, right? Yeah, Sandy, that's good. Yeah. Why do we come together? Pray for each other. That's awesome. Anything else? 
What do you think of when you think about the church? What's that? Family. Okay, I like that. Uh, Family. So we've got tribe, fellowship, worship, prayer, the people that are here. That's awesome. And all those things are true. It's kind of part of what the local church is supposed to be about. Uh, Many people, when they think about the church, sometimes they think more about the universal church, a church that uh, is um, all over the world, um, all believers all over the place. And sometimes people will come to this conclusion that um, as long as I'm a part of the universal church, the church everywhere, I don't have to be a part of a church local. And, well, the problem with that is the Bible. And so what the Bible shows us and will show us here is that we have been set up to be in this place together uh, and to, to grow, to worship, to fellowship, to pray for one another. And it's always made up of people, this local gathering, okay? That's a part of the church as a whole. Um, but this part of our lives should be essential, right? It's essential for spiritual growth and development and um, being together and learning. So, yeah, I love that. Uh, so with that, we'll be moving into Hebrews chapter 10. The first fill in the blank uh, is going to be easy, a new church. We're talking about the church. There's a new church. Hey, I know that church. Right? Uh, so that's our church, right? And so we have this new church. Um, so make sure you fill in that blank. And this first verse here, verse 19, is the physical and spiritual temple. So it's as this writer of Hebrews is trying to help people understand, mainly a Jewish audience, he's writing to this group of people that understand what the temple is about. They understand what the tabernacle is about. They understand this, this holy place and this holy of holies place, which we'll get to. Um, but when we talk about the church itself, when we talk about the transformation that takes place and we become believers since Jesus Christ came and he lived that sinless life and he died on the cross and he was raised again, he's given us that direct access. So when the scripture talks about us as priests and as this holy temple ourselves, like we're walking around as the temple of God. And then as we come into this place, uh, we, we have this special gathering of fellowship, of learning, um, and of growing together. And it's not restricted. Uh, when you went to the temple um, in the Old Testament, the priest was there. Um, you'd give your offering or you'd pay your money for the offering or the sacrifice. Uh, there'd be the regular priest that would be able to go in and do certain things in just the holy place. And then it'd be the most holy place that the high priest would go into just once a year. Um, he would go and take and make atonement for the sins of all the people. But isn't it an amazing thing that now, under what we would call the new covenant, so we had old covenant, then new covenant now, through what Jesus has done, we'll see that he's, he's broken down this dividing wall of hostility. And now we have direct access to God. So like when we worship, we can experience God's presence. We walk around with it all day long if we're believers, but when we come and we gather in this place, there's this special presence, and we go, wow, why am I so encouraged when I come here? Why do I feel so great about being with God's people and about worshiping? It's because he opened up the door, right? He gave us direct access. So it says in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So again, when he used this word here to enter the holy places in the Greek here, it's the word hagios, it's this incomparable reverence and majesty attributed to God. And so when the people, especially the Jewish people would have read this, they would have gone, wait a minute, we have confidence to enter holy places places, and these holy places that the author's talking about here in Hebrews was the holy place and then the most holy place. So it would have been that first little area that you walk in in the temple, and they'd be making like just the, you know, the little offerings, and the priests would be offering incense, and the most holy place is where the Spirit of God dwelled. They would have the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, They have some other elements there that when the high priest went in there, which again, he would only go in there one time a year, and there'd be this full preparation that when he went in, 
He'd have a rope tied around his leg, so in case he didn't do things right and he died, right there in the presence of God, they could, yeah, we're not going in there. We're going to pull him out. So as we think about that, and the author writes us, he says, confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, why was this? Well, we know that Jesus was, we'll see here, he was the ultimate high priest. If you look throughout the book of Hebrews as well, chapter 7, talks about this guy named Melchizedek. You're like, who is Melchizedek? Well, he was like one of the greatest high priests in the Old Testament during the time of Abraham. And um, when, when it talks about Jesus being greater than Melchizedek, he's going, hey, look, Jesus was and is the greatest high priest. He was the only one who could offer the right sacrifice, and he's the only one that could allow us direct access to God. So when it says holy places here, this should be significant to us, right? We think about, oh, yeah, yeah, we go to church, a holy place. Well, he's talking about a lot of other things. He's talking about reference from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and now we have this direct access to God. I love it. That's great. So if you look at chapter 9 of Hebrews as well, you'll see this comparison that there's this holy place this most holy place. And as he's writing this, he's going, do you guys understand that we have access to God? The Jewish people would have been like, uh, wait a second. <laughs> we go through all these rituals. We've got to get the priest. We've got to get the high priest involved. And then, and then once a year, we can go into that place. And the author here is going, oh, Jesus, <laughs> he made direct access. Well, how did he do that? Well, we see in verse 20, it says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So this new church, this uh, new covenant church that God has given us the ability to be a part of, but more so that helps us illustrate um, this idea that we have direct connection with God. So what did he do? By this new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. What did he, what was the only access point to God? We talked about it last week as well, that there is the shedding of blood on Jesus' part on the cross. This allowed us direct access to God. And what did it do? Well, <clears throat> we, we talked about this last week as well, but this veil at the temple, like that separated people from the holy place and from the holy of, like you definitely shouldn't go anywhere near the most holy place. Though people aren't even like wanting to look that direction, like no, I hope nothing happens to me. But what happened when Jesus died? This veil was torn. So I don't know if you've um, done any reading on this or seen anything about this, but there was this veil that separated the most holy place. And it was this veil that was you know, tall enough that nobody could see over, so about 15 feet high, and it went all directions um, around, kind of like a square. But then the thickness of it was four inches thick. Like, you know, some of us have some good blankets because, I mean, we live in the north, right? we got some good jackets. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think anybody has anything that thick, right? Four inches of curtain that was torn in half. And as I was thinking about that, I'm just always amazed by that, right? Because when we, when we think about like Jesus t- opening up that access point for us through his flesh, like, I mean, who could do that? Like nobody would go up there and be like, I'm going to tear the veil because <laughs> it's impossible, right, for a human being. Um, and then I was thinking like just back to childhood, and I remember going to um, uh, some of those uh, conferences that involved the power team. Who remembers the power team? Anybody? All right, Bruce is like, yeah, power team. I don't want to date myself, but yeah, power team, right? I watched it, I watched it, yeah. So what would those guys do? They'd get up there and they'd be like, you know, they have like this brute strength, obviously, uh, but they would talk about the gospel through that. And so they'd get there and they'd like rip these phone books in half. And you're like, as a little kid, seeing somebody rip a phone book in half, you're like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen, right? But what, but what did Jesus do, right? Through his flesh, like Hebrews tells us, we've got access to this new church and this new temple, which is ourselves and our gathering together. Uh, and what did he do? He, more impressive than ripping a phone book, right? He ripped the whole veil in half, and he gave direct access to us. 
to God. I like what Ephesians says. Ephesians 2.14 talks about this dividing wall of hostility being removed. You know why that dividing wall hostility was there? Well, it was because of our sin for one thing, but then it was there to keep us alive, right? So you, you guys stay over here uh, because there needs to be atonement for your sins. You need to come and offer sacrifice so you can be in right standing with God. So the veil is here to protect you. But what did Jesus do? He goes, I took care of it, so there's no more need for it. So I'm going to rip that four-inch veil in half all the way from top to bottom. And then in verse 21, it says, And since we have a great high, a great priest over the house of God. What did he do? Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Oh, man, that's amazing. So what is he doing? Well, he's setting us up for this, for this new heart. So we've got the new church. And this next fill in the blank is the new heart. New heart. So yeah, we, have a, we had a cold, dark, stony heart, right? Before we knew God. And the scripture talks about this new heart that we've been given. It's this fleshly heart. It's this heart that God gave us direct access to, to know, to understand his being, what he cares about through this direct access. And what does it say? Well, he's drawing us near to God because of this new heart. We wouldn't be able to have access to him without it. He took down this dividing wall of hostility, and he's given us this new heart. Um, So we've got new church, new heart, and here's what it says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This word here in the Greek for true, aletheinos, uh, which means that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name in every respect corresponding to the idea signified by the name. The real, true, genuine, opposite to what is fictitious, counterfeit, imaginary, simulated, or pretend. Well, there's a lot of pretend things out there, right? Uh, we like video games, don't we? You know the guys in the room, they're like, yeah, I like playing a little bit of video games. Uh, over years, you know, people have you know, gone into these pretend worlds, right, to be something greater, to be something that maybe they're not. And when I was thinking about this, there's a lot of counterfeits out there because you may not be able to go, you know, into um, you know, like a video game and play Call of Duty. That may not, you know, be you going overseas, being a warrior like that. But you can experience that through that form. And then I was thinking about this other word here um, in the definition for true. Um, so the opposite of this is counterfeit, right? Now, would you guess that any, at any given time, according to the U.S. Treasury, there's over $70 million in counterfeit bills out there. So if you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot. Well, it is. So that's uh, pro- approximately $1 for every 10000 that are in circulation. You've probably handled one before. I had to guess, not intentionally, of course. I'm sure nobody uh, would have done that intentionally. But, but what do we see when we look at this? We have a new heart. It's not a, it's not a counterfeit, right? It's a true heart that God's given us. When we have direct access to him, there's something different about us, right? Um, I know when we interact together and we're here together, we have this um, genuineness about us, right? We have this trueness about us, this heart that actually cares for people. So um, we don't just come to this place to offer lip service to God, right? And we don't just come to say, well, God, you know, I've done this, and, and this feels like it's good enough because, I mean, what's the point of being a counterfeit, right? Eventually, somebody will find you about, and with bigger currency, right? Every time, you know, you pay with a bigger bill of some kind, what do they do at the, the, you know, the grocery store or whatever? They're like, mm, right? They're trying, or they're like marking it with some special pen, I don't know, uh, trying to figure out if it's real or not, right? Well, when, if anybody were to test us, if anybody were to ask us to hold us up to whatever the light of having that true heart is, 
people should be able to see that, right? That we're true, that we're genuine. So God's given us direct access to him. We've got this new church, this new covenant church that we get to be a part of. Uh, we've got this new heart, and this is really the, the objective evidence. So if we don't have this new heart, uh, if we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and gone, I, I have direct access. I have the people of God as my support, as my encouragement. Um, you might want to take a second look. So we've got the new church. We've got the new heart. Um, and here in verse 23, um, helps us understand a little bit better. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, uh, it says here in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what does all this rest on? Well, it says here to let us hold fast. In the Greek, it's actually a phrase, uh, katekeo, uh, means to keep the ship on course. Keep the ship on course. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat. Um, it's not my favorite thing, but I have been on one before. I've been on a cruise early on in Christianized marriage. My parents really like cruises, well, my mom in particular. And so I remember getting on there the first night. Um, I cannot imagine like being a sailor, being somebody who like, steers a boat, because that first night I was just like, this is not okay. <laughs> like, I don't feel well. And if you ever feel like that like in life, like you're just like, I'm just trying to keep the thing <laughs> straight. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep the ship straight, because what happens on the water? Well, Things move around, right? They go up and down. Things seem uncertain at times. Well, here's what the author says to us. Let us hold fast. And this phrase here, you actually find it a few different places in the New Testament. Um, What are we supposed to hold fast to? Well, this confession of our hope without wavering. Now, we we have difficult days, right? We have days where we're like, man, this is hard. But do we waver from the faith that we have? No, we need to maintain our faith in God. And, And it's difficult, too, especially if we're doing it by ourselves, by the way. So if you're not a part of a church family, if maybe you're listening online, then, uh, you need to be somewhere, right? You need to be a part of that family because when we get off course, it's easier to be corrected with people around us. So this holding fast, well, how do we continue to do that? Well, um, I, I like this verse in Philippians 2.16. It's one of the ones that's been the tagline for the church for a long time. Um, it's actually the same uh, verse, the same phrase here in Philippians. Verse 16, you may know it. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in, la- run in vain or labor in vain. And can you imagine getting to the end of life? I mean, being on your deathbed and then thinking, was all this in vain? Uh, was it worthless? Was it for nothing? Well, it says here, this is our assurance. As we hold fast to the faith, we're encouraged by this. And we do this with each other too. So we hold fast to the word of life. That's the word, the Bible. That's what we use. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And I hope that that's us, right? How do we do that better? Well, by being a part of a family that encourages. We come here and we celebrate, right? We got a Williams family birthday for the triplets uh, today. So yeah, so we celebrate that together, right? So when we come together, they're like, please don't look at us. Please don't look at us, right? (laughs) You know, it's, uh, yeah, we should celebrate, right? So when we come together in this place, it's, it's about having fellowship. It's about having encouragement. So um, when we come in, I think sometimes we kind of, we view it like maybe like old covenant, like we're walking in with like the rope tied around our feet and we're like, we just hope we get out of here alive. Okay. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not what God wants for us, right? We should come in this place like joyful and happy, you know, uh, glad to be a part of the family of faith. All right. Uh, because there's not the penalty of death if we don't do things exactly the right way. It's okay to be in this place. I remember somebody said it, and the church is a hospital for sinners, right? It's not a country club for the elite. And none of us in here are, 
as far as I'm, you know, checking her, I'm guessing, right? Nobody was perfect except for Jesus. So, you know, we walk into this place and um, we all have imperfections, but we celebrate together, we encourage one another. And what do we do? We hold fast. Um, interestingly enough, um, the same root word of that phrase was in Revelation today in the quiet time that we read. I'll read it for us, but just verses 11 and 12 again. Uh, Bryce read that, um, did a great job explaining that to us. It says in verse 11 of Revelation 3, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. So we walk in here like we're in a church, right? A physical be- a place, a building, although not necessary for us to actually gather. Um, we could go anywhere and gather together and be the church of God. But we're thankful that we have this place. So how do, how do we do this? We know Jesus is coming soon, right? So we've got to keep that in perspective, not just going, I mean, you know, he'll get around to it. Like, you know, I don't need to be a part of the family. I don't need to be at church. I don't need to be a part of the gathering. I don't need to be a part of fellowship. And we miss out, don't we? Well, it's not just about us either, is it? When, when we gather together, we're going, yeah, I'm getting encouragement. That's why I come here. But we're here for, to also help encourage others, okay? So as we hold fast, we're going, hey, don't lose heart. Um, hold, hold fast. The Revelation puts it this way. Um, what you have, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So what are we conquerors? Like what Bryce said, we're going to be pillars in the temple of God. And guess what? We already are. We're a part of that church. We're walking around as the church. And we don't hold it on our shoulders. Sometimes I, I think, too, as we view the church, we go, you know, if I'm not, like, on Saturday, you know, if it hasn't been a good week, and, like, man, I didn't, you know, if I didn't treat my family well, and uh, maybe if I slipped up at work and I yelled at somebody, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I shouldn't go to church, right? I can't be in that place because I'm not worthy to be in there. Sometimes I feel like that too, but the truth is that that's a lie from the enemy. If he's whispering in your ear on Saturday night going, I don't know, you know, maybe you shouldn't go. <laughs> I don't know that any of us should then, right? So with that in mind, let's talk about the renewed expectation or a renewed expectation. It's the last fill in the blank, renewed expectation, uh, verses 24 and 25 and don't hear any of this as a guilt trip. This is not what this is about. Like, God, when you walk into this place, you're listening online, or you watch this at a later time, God is not, like, he's not beating you up, going like, you're bad. Like, you should have been in church all this time, right? No, he's going, hey, if you need to make a change, let's make it now, okay? Let's be a part of this family. So this should be encouraging to us, because we have this renewed expectation. Oh, yeah, that's the church, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure what, when that is, maybe 80s or 90s. Not sure when that is, right? I think I see a few people I recognize. I won't say who. Oh, it said 95? Cool. I put together a couple of pictures um, somebody gave me in a historical sketch. So that's looking this way. You can tell things have changed a little bit, right? Everything does over time, except for God and his word. So what do we have? We have this renewed expectation. Um, verse 24, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be stirring each other. Uh, I know you guys are like, I'm still trying to find myself in there. If I'm in there. Now, what does verse 24 tell us? We're supposed to be stirring each other up. For what? Well, let's read it. It says in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir one another up. Stir up one another to love and good works. So how do we stir each other up if we're not here? Right? That's hard, isn't it? I mean, well, I can text and I can email. I can call people. I mean, 
I can't tell you how much of that I did like when we were not meeting for three months um, during COVID. I was like calling everybody and texting and emailing. But you know what? It's just not the same, is it? And we come to this physical gathering to be together. And how do we do that? Well, if you're talking to somebody face-to-face, it's a lot easier to encourage, right? Give them a handshake, to give them a hug. Oh, wait, are we still doing that? Are we doing that again? Yeah, <laughs> we should be, right? We're encouraging each other to do what? To stir up one another to love and good works. How hard is it to ignore the things that God wants us to do on a regular basis, like loving people and doing good works, if we don't come together to be encouraged for that? Well, it's pretty hard, right? I know every time I leave here, I'm like, yes, like I'm ready to do something great, you know, uh, just because I've been with God's family, right? I get energy. I get encouragement by it. So we have fuel to do what he wants us to do. So love and good works. And here's the last verse. Not, degle- not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. What are we supposed to be doing? No, not neglecting this gathering together. And actually, this is not a new issue, right? This is not, like some people think like, well, you know, it's new. Like, you know, people not going to church or maybe just they like to watch online. And, and here's the truth. I'm not bashing the online thing. I know we do that. I know some of you are watching it right now. What I'm telling you is that if you're able to be here, able to be here with the family of faith, then you should be, right? Now, there's times of like disability or maybe you come sort of some sort of, you know, life crippling illness or something that just keeps you from being able to go somewhere and be a part of a family of faith. I'm not saying that those things don't happen and it makes it difficult or even impossible to walk out of your house, okay? And that's primarily what this is for. But what I want to encourage you in and not beat you up because I think we hear these things often, especially with all, like, I think every church pretty much almost is doing the online thing. What I'm saying today is just what God's Word says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what do we do? Like, we know this day of Christ is drawing near, right? Jesus said at any moment he's going to go, I'm going to rapture the church. I'm going to take everybody up. And so as we look towards that in anticipation, we need encouragement, right? We need hope. Um, I know we've all come from different types of weeks, different lines of work. Um, and as we come into this place, we, we need this gathering, right? Now, we need our relationship with God more than anything, but secondary to that is the corporate gathering of the saints to be together, um, to celebrate. And we always have the birthdays up on the screen, too. I like thinking about that because of the Williams kids here this morning. But and we celebrate that, right? And we should. We should encourage one another. But we're, we're doing this with this hope of the future in mind. Um, and someone might say, well, you know, I can worship God in my tree stand. Or I can, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not bashing hunting, all right? That's cool. Um, you know, or I can worship God while I'm on the road. Or, you know, I don't have to be, you know, I can pi- turn it on when I'm driving down, you know, down the road. I'm out of town. Okay. Yeah. And that's a really cool thing that we can do now, right? It's a cool tool. But what does God desire for us? Well, your desires for us to be together, right? As much as possible. So let's not neglect this. And so as I was thinking about this, I, I know there was a day in the church life, none of us were around for it, but uh, it was a hard day. Um, in 1849, and this actually predates the fire department. Um, I serve with the fire department, so I think about these things like what happened before, like buildings just burned down. And in 1849, uh, this church was leveled, it was burned to the ground. But interestingly enough, what do you think the people did the next day? They met together in that space. Even though there wasn't a building, they had church. You know what they said? (laughs) We're going to keep having church, and we're going to build another building 
in its place. And that's actually a part of the structure that we're in right now. So a little bit of history today. Um, we're in a building, but at the same time, the church can gather anywhere. In fact, I know a lot of you, you, like, you meet outside of this place, and when you're together, there's that same type of fellowship happening. In fact, there's people in here that call other people an aunt or an uncle that are not an aunt or an uncle. Right? <laughs> when I first got here... Um, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, I don't think they're related. Like, uh, what, is that? what is that about? When you come from like a, like a, a big church, like a you know, corporate setting, um, like people don't do that. But what I realized was there's something special uh, about this place. There's something special about a group of people, like what Matt said, that come together, have fellowship, have encouragement for all the other things that we talked about. Learning, prayer, worship. Why do we do that? What the author of Hebrews said is stir up one another for love and for good works. And so don't hear me saying, like, I know some of us are out today, too. It's like, it's a nice day. We're like, we'll see you next Sunday, right? So if you're not here, well, there's no condemnation, right? That's not for those who are in Christ. But if you can be here, then be here. I promise you, you'll get a blessing and you'll encourage somebody else, too. It works both ways, right? And so I'll close with this because we've got the new church, we've got the new heart, we've got this new expectation. And I want to just read this from a historical excerpt. It's actually um, when I got to the church and we were kind of planning the you know, 200-year celebration. It didn't happen. Um, God's still good though, right? And the church has been here for almost 202 years now. Um, there are a lot of things that I got from Esther. Um, so just like these news clippings and articles from celebrations, you know, years in the past. And I was like, do we even need a celebration? Because we've got all this history, all these amazing things that have happened in the past. And I want to read you um, an excerpt from something that somebody wrote a long time ago about the church when it was first started. It says this, 16 people on June 20th, 1820, met in one of their homes and officially formed the church known today as First Baptist Church of Alba. So what happened? A group of people, they got together, they founded a church, did it start in a building like this? No. started like a lot of other New Testament churches, New Covenant churches, in a house. And people said, we're now forming the church known as First Baptist Church of Elba. Uh, and that was almost 202 years ago. Can you imagine that? And people have been coming to this place ever since. And we get to be a part of that. Isn't that cool, right? I mean, just the history of the church and what God's doing and why he's brought us together because we have this renewed expectation that those people who... We don't know who started this place. That we get to participate in that. We get to continue what God is doing. And we get to celebrate together, encourage, and lift one another up. Because we have this expectation. And it's not an expectation on my part. It's not an expectation on the deacon board's part. It's an expectation by God to be in this place, to be together. Uh, and I hope, that, um, I hope you're encouraged by that, not discouraged. Um, God says to anybody, hey, if you've never been to church, come to church. If maybe you've taken some time off, maybe you've been through a hard season, and you don't know if God's people still care, you don't know if God still cares, I promise you they do, and he does, okay? Um, maybe you've just never had the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Um, we believe that uh, it's as easy as this. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was raised from the dead. So we celebrated last week in Easter. He rolled away the stone, and he got up. That's the good news. Nobody else did that in all of human history. Only God could. Last thing you need to do is confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. Scriptures tell us that we'll be saved. You'll be saved if you do that. Uh, and it, it maybe if that's you today, you've never been a part of a family, you've never been encouraged by anybody like this, like coming to this place, um, you can make that decision today. 
Um, so if you're here in person, you want to do that, uh, I'll be here afterwards and can talk with you. Uh, if you're online, uh, reach out to us that mode as well. So what I'd like to do is I want to pray for us, and then what we're going to do is enter directly into our communion time. Uh, we'll get those to you if you did not get one, but we get to celebrate the fellowship and being together, um, taking this little cup of grape juice and wafer, um, and just honoring what God has done for us, remembering his shed blood and the body that he gave to us. Through the, what did the scripture say at the beginning?